Pray with me, please. Lord, we give you thanks for bringing us all here this morning. We pray that your word will have meaning for us. We pray that you will emblazon it on our hearts. Lead us in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, today is the last in our sermon series of His Story. And they saved the best for last, of course. (laughs) Um, And today we take a little step back uh, from where we have been, back to uh, the Last Supper again. And Jesus is trying to comfort his disciples because he knows that he is leaving. And I confess to being a little intimidated this morning because of <laughs> fear. <laughs> What's your worst fear? On Christmas Eve of 1944, World War II raged across Europe. The German army was making one last desperate attempt to thwart the Allied push into Germany, throwing every remaining resource they had into what became known as the Battle of the Bulge. Desperate Allied field commanders begged for reinforcements to stop the Germans, and the 101st Airborne was surrounded in the freezing temperatures and snow at Bastogne. That evening, the 66th Infantry Division boarded troop ships in Southampton, England, to make the trip across the English Channel. One of those ships, the Belgian transport Leopoldville, carried 2,235 18- and 19-year-old soldiers of the 66th. At 6 p.m., five miles outside of Cherbourg, France, with the lights of the city already in sight, the small convoy was spotted by a Nazi U-boat, and two torpedoes from U-486 hit the stern of the Leopoldville, and she began to sink. The heroic Belgian crew promptly lowered their lifeboats and left, leaving the men of the 66 to fend for themselves. In the chaos, many of the confused and equipment-laden men in heavy wool overcoats plunged into the icy waters of the channel, only to drown or freeze in the 42-degree water. A British escort destroyer, the HMS Brilliant, pulled alongside the stricken ship, and sailors on board encouraged the men to jump from one ship to the other. From the mess deck, one young soldier watched as others tried to make the jump to the smaller ship, which was 25 feet below. In the choppy seas and the darkness, the two ships struggled to stay close together, and many who tried fell short, landing in the water to be crushed between the hulls. Sailors on board the Brilliant tried to time the rolls, directing the soldiers when to jump, yelling, Now! Jump! Many simply froze, unable to move. Others just numbly wandered into the icy water. Finally, the young soldier overcame his fear and he made the leap, a leap of faith. 
trusting the sailors and landing on the deck of the destroyer. He lived, but 763 did not. That young soldier would survive the war carrying this New Testament in his field jacket. That young soldier is my dad. I contend that there were three kinds of men on that boat. Fearful, those frozen in fear, not knowing who to trust or which way to turn, and unable to move. The hopeless, numbly wandering alone into the water without guidance. And the believers, those who saw the hope and took the leap of faith. Most experts say that each of us, when threatened, has a fight-or-flight instinct. But I would contend that we also have another instinct, and that's to freeze. It's amazing how people freeze up and don't respond even when threatened with a life-threatening situation. That's because fear makes us freeze. It renders us powerless to move or act. We all have fears. Too often, though, we let them rule over our lives and stop us from moving ahead and doing what God wants us to do. Fear is probably the most popular of all the weapons of the enemy. Worry, anxiety, and fear can overwhelm us. It pulls the light from Jesus of our lives, and it controls every move and decision that we make, or in some cases can't make. I kind of equate it to the cartoon that you might have seen when you were a kid with the angel on one shoulder and the devil on the other. Anybody ever seen that one? And each one's whispering in his ear, telling him what to do. When God gives you an idea, that's called inspiration. When the devil gives you an idea, that's called temptation. Who do you listen to? Who directs the choices you make? I'll tell you, if you are living in anxiety and fear, or are unable to act or make decisions out of fear, guess what? You're paying attention to the wrong shoulder. The enemy is running your life. And that's not what Jesus intended when he gave us the gift of the Spirit. We all know that life is a series of choices and decisions. We make our choices, and then those choices make us who we are. We make our decisions, and if we make good decisions, we succeed. If we make bad decisions, that's when things go south. Every decision has consequences, and the probability of us messing up is pretty good because we're only human beings and we're not perfect. And when you're pulled in different directions by the angel on one shoulder and the devil on the other, it creates enormous tension in your life. When you turn all of those decisions or worries or fears over to the one whose yoke is easy and burden is light, those fears go away. You just need to listen to the correct shoulder. That wee small voice whispering to you, urging you, teaching you, I equate it to your conscience. But of course, really, it's the spirit within you, nudging you quietly along and making you bit by bit into the image of Jesus and the person that God wants you to be. That dang conscience. Don't we love it? One year, a man decided to cheat his income taxes. Problem was that he later started to feel so guilty he couldn't sleep. 
After thinking about it for a while, he sent an anonymous cashier's check for a hundred bucks to the IRS with a note that said, to whom it may concern, I cheated on my taxes and now I feel so guilty I haven't been able to sleep for weeks. So I'm sending you this check for a hundred dollars. I hope you forgive me. P.S. If I still can't sleep after one week, I'll send you the rest of what I owe. <laughs> Probably not the urging of the Holy Spirit, but you get the idea. In our gospel passage today, the disciples are freaking out. Everything they had believed and hoped for was being turned upside down. The hoped-for warrior king they had followed for three years, the long-awaited Messiah that they had witnessed raise people from the dead, heal people, calm storms, feed multitudes, and teach them, had told them that he's leaving and that they can't go with him. In verse 19, he says, Before long the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. They can't go with him because he's going to be killed. Jesus tries to comfort them, but before the night is done, one would betray him. One would deny him three times. And all of them, all of them, would desert him and run away in fear. Jesus knows it will happen. But still, his love for them overrules everything else. And he sets aside his pain, knowing what is coming, to try and comfort his closest friends. Fear. Again, fear. The disciples should be thrilled, excited, overjoyed. Everything that Jesus has been trying to tell them is coming true. Jesus is not just going to conquer a foreign power, as they imagined. It's going to conquer death itself. But they're not overjoyed. Why? Fear. They fear being left alone without their leader and what is going to happen to them. To comfort them, Jesus promises them a new companion that will never leave them, or us, the Holy Spirit. One who will continue to teach them and not let them forget a single, a single thing that Jesus has said. But I'm pretty sure they didn't get what he meant. In verse 26, Jesus says, But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. In spite of Jesus' words, the crisis of the present moment is what hangs heavy in the disciples' hearts. It's fine for Jesus to promise the Spirit, but it's Jesus who they're going to miss and love. So were the disciples afraid? Heck yeah, they were afraid. The next day with their warrior king hung on a cross, they all ran away and hid, terrified that the persecuting Jews would come after them next. They were dealing with what they saw as the total collapse of their Messiah's victory over Rome. It was difficult for them, Jesus' closest friends and students, to believe And if it was difficult for them, how hard is it then for us? Fear is a basic human instinct. How do we overcome it? How do we live a fearless life? And how do we take that leap of faith? Fear is indeed a basic human instinct. But do you think that's news to God? After all, he created us. He knows what we're all about. 
That's why he gave us a helper for building our faith and reducing our fears. That's why he gave us the Spirit. So how do we move from fear to faith? For the disciples, it was easy. They were witnesses of the risen Jesus and eyewitnesses of his miracles and teaching. For us, 2,000 years later, it's a little more difficult. But the Apostle Paul gave us a road map. And of course, Jesus promised us the Spirit if we all just take that leap of faith. Paul tells us that the Spirit guides our life in Christ. That's his job. It's what brings about the changes of our lives as we mature as Christians and become closer to the image of Jesus. It's living in Christ's Spirit that leads to our salvation. Fear can hold you back, but the Spirit will make you bold. The Holy Spirit guides you on your own personal faith and life journey. He's your good shepherd and will lead you gently, one step at a time, if you will listen. In Galatians, Paul described what he called the fruits of the Spirit and the way we should exemplify those fruits. This is God's master plan for our lives. This is how he enables us to grow. When you choose to live in the Spirit, you move closer to God. And that makes God happy. Let's take a little informal survey. This is a a thumbs up, thumbs down survey. Thumbs up means you think it's a fruit of the Spirit. Thumbs down means you think it's probably not so good. So here we go. Get your thumbs ready. Come on, I'm up here in front of Kendall. You can do it. (laughs) Fits of rage. Envy, patience, sorcery, kindness, selfishness, giddy up, love. Okay, I think you all get it. But listen to what Paul writes in Galatians. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Only the Holy Spirit has the ability and the power to make changes in our lives, the ones that God wants to make. And the fruit of the Spirit are the qualities that God puts in your life when the Holy Spirit lives in you. And you walk in the power of the Spirit. But we have to be willing. I've said before that God loves to use the unlikely but he can't use the unwilling. The Holy Spirit works within us to gradually make us more and more like him. And think about this. The more we become like Jesus, the less we have to fear. Because Jesus feared nothing, not even death. So then walking in the Spirit will reduce our fears. With the guidance of the Holy Spirit, we will be able to take those bold steps just as the, as the disciples did and fear less. If you are listening to the wrong shoulder more often than not, then you are living in what I'm going to call the spirit of fear. The spirit of fear will try and keep you from living God's purpose for your life, and it will suck the joy out of your life. Now, I'll admit some fears are good. For example, you should be afraid of a copperhead snake. You should be afraid of jumping off a cliff. 
We just need to learn to differentiate between healthy fears that protect us from danger and unhealthy fears that hold us back from God. Jesus also wanted us to know that with the Holy Spirit, we are never alone. And we are never alone. But how many of us truly, truly realize that? How many of us really feel that? How many of us feel like we are never alone? How many of us rely on it? How many of us take advantage of that to deal with our uncertainties and fears? Jesus didn't want us to feel alone. So why do we? If you are ever feeling alone or confused, take a breath and remember that promise that Jesus made. We are not orphans. God is there. God is with us. God understands. God will carry you through your pain and fear. That doesn't mean the pain will go away or the worry or confusion. It just means that you can have hope that goes beyond that suffering. Ask the Spirit to guide you, to comfort you. Each time you encounter a fear, whatever it is, immediately turn to the Holy Spirit and ask for His help, His encouragement and His strength. Don't miss out on what God has in store for you by allowing fear to run your life. I have four ways for you to help move from fear to faith. Number one, acknowledge and try to understand your fear and trust that God can handle it. In the upper room that night, Jesus not only promised the twelve he wouldn't leave them as orphans, but he promised to always be with them in the presence of the Holy Spirit. He's telling them and us, I'm whatever you need, whenever you need it. Two, trust in God's timing, not yours. When you are tempted to say, where is God? Why doesn't he answer my prayers? Why isn't he helping me? Instead, thank him for being faithful and for what he's already done for you. Later, maybe years later, you'll look back on the circumstances of your life and maybe at a particular point in time that made you especially anxious or fearful. And it will suddenly come to you that God did answer your prayer, just not in the way you expected or in the time that you thought. Three, read God's Word. The Bible tells us exactly what God thinks about fear and how we should treat it. In verse 27, Jesus says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not be afraid. What could be more reassuring than that? It comes directly from the Prince of Peace. And four, just trust. That leap of faith is a choice that you make. Choose to walk in the Spirit, not a spirit of fear. Listen to the correct shoulder. The twelve believed because of what they saw. We have to believe in spite of what we see. The twelve experienced it, and we, in spite of what we see in the broken world around us, believe because of what they wrote down. So basically, the Spirit is your life coach. And like Joe Namath says, it's free! (laughs) Jesus didn't leave the disciples alone 
ultimately came to them after the resurrection and they finally got it. The book of Acts tells us that they not only got it, but they went out boldly into the world proclaiming the good news. We can do the same. He will not leave us alone either. This is the amazing news of this passage. The phrase, do not be afraid, is written in the Bible 365 times. Wouldn't you think that after that many times we'd get it? But we don't. Many of us remember, God helps those who help themselves, which isn't even in the Bible. But aren't able to believe, do not be afraid. Most of us live in some kind of worry or constant fear because we don't have God's wisdom. We haven't learned to trust the Holy Spirit to guide us or believe that we are not alone. If you take some time to reflect back on your life, you will see the changes that the Holy Spirit has made in you during your journey. How you have been molded more and more, little by little, into the image of Christ. Maybe you have more patience. Maybe the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life has given you more joy. Maybe you have more peace. And maybe there are parts of your life that you want the Holy Spirit to continue to work on. If you want more self-control, ask for it. So what about you? What do you fear? We fear the future. We fear for our finances. We fear losing our jobs. We fear for our children. We fear poor health. We fear the loss of a loved one. We fear failure or poor grades in school. We even fear the past. But I'll tell you what, my friends. If you are afraid or anxious or living in fear, right here, right now, this morning, then the devil is living rent-free right here. When your boat starts to sink, what kind of person will you be? Fearful? Frozen in fear, not knowing which way to turn? Hopeless? Numbly wandering about without guidance and feeling alone? Or will you be a believer? Seeing the hope, leaning on, being guided by the Spirit, and taking that leap of faith? Just like those original 12 who were freaking out in the upper room, you are not alone. I will not leave you as orphans, Jesus said. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Believe it. Live in the power of the Spirit. And then you can say, I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. Let's pray. Lord, we are so grateful for the gift of your Holy Spirit. And we say now, come Holy Spirit, come. Lead our lives and direct us. And we thank you for never, ever leaving us alone. In Jesus' name, amen.